Welcome to Music Ed Talk. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Blair Kerner. To begin, Dr. Kerner, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. So the way that I describe myself is I have three uh, identities that speak most true to myself. So one is as a musician. That's my core. So I'm a bassoonist. Um, I obviously did the typical track of wanting to go into orchestra and so forth, but veered off of that a little bit and decided, you know what, I'm a much better contemporary and freelance musician. So I do a lot of freelancing in upstate New York area. My second identity is as an educator. I've always actually wanted to teach. Um, my very first job I wanted as a first grader was to be an elementary school teacher. Uh, that's kind of morphed and evolved as my career has progressed, but I am currently a teacher in higher education. I currently teach at community music schools, private lessons, as well as in career topics. And then my last one is, I call this the venturer. <laughs> and people are always like, hmm. What is that? It's a, it's a good question. It's kind of like a bucket of everything else that I do. So I like to take on unique ventures or opportunities and just give it a shot within the music field and also in cross interdisciplinary uh, aspects. So what the best way I could describe this is this is more leadership and administrative type of skill sets. So I've developed my own podcast. I've been published to write case studies, which assesses music in a business mindset. I'm a career advisor. I've run my own businesses in the chamber music world. So there's a lot of those ventures. I've been on the board of different uh, music organizations. So I kind of take on these ventures and try stuff out, um, technology, etc. because I'm curious to see how the classical music world is going to adjust and change in the 21st century and ventures are the way to do it. So those are my three identities, musician, uh, educator, and venturer. And through all those different identities, I've pursued opportunities that would let me kind of morph those together. So I said I was a bassoonist. I went to Hofstra University for my undergraduate, um, and I got both a music and an elementary education degree. And then I went on to Eastman School of Music, where I got my master's and my doctorate, and I'm actually still working there at the Institute for Music Leadership. So how did you find yourself beginning as a performance last musician and moving into administration and administrative roles? Good question. So first and foremost, um, and this is coming from a career advisor perspective as well, and I've talked to a lot of students about this. If you are at all interested in freelancing and running your own chamber group and having your own studio and doing anything that is not within an established institution, you are technically running your own business right? So if you're out there freelancing, you need to come up with your own taxes that you have to collect all of your materials and submit all your contracts for. You have to figure out your budget. You have to figure out which, which ones are you going to say yes to and which ones are, are not going to be worth it. You have to figure out you know, how to network and market yourself because that is your income. Same thing with studios, same thing with chamber groups. There's a lot of different fields. If you're going to be a composer, same thing. Um, if you want to you know, write your own book, same thing. You're essentially learning a lot of administration and business skill sets along those ways. So rather than learning it retroactively, why not be proactive about it? So I actually pursued an arts leadership certificate at Eastman, which is an older, one of the oldest um, certificate programs that exists in conservatories and classical music field to get administrative and leadership skills. And with that, I interned and did a few things and realized that there's an overlap here between being a musician and being a leader and having administrative skill sets. So I worked at the IML Institute. I interned at a few local organizations. And just as I was starting to kind of get my feeling for things, I started my own chamber group. 
And then, of course, the IML actually asked when I graduated to stay on board as an employee. Um, so that's when I became the career advisor at Eastman. As you were transitioning from a performer and now in this new role as administrator, what were some good knowledge resources or bases you referred to or used? Oh, there are so many. Um, first and foremost, I would say that people, 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 right? People are your best skill set and networking and knowledge base because with these individuals, you can learn almost anything. And so building your connections and network. So me talking to people, I'm not a composer. I don't know what being a composer is like. So reaching out to a professor or reaching out to a composer and say, could you come in and have an honest talk to these individuals or give me some insights about what's useful for you? Then I can then, okay, great, collect the, that information. Same thing with trying to help other individuals find internships or find connections to jobs or uh, get into summer programs. So the people is a huge resource, number one. Number two, I would say that there is a plethora of resources that I'm currently updating on my website uh, that exist out there that I highly encourage individuals to tap into. First and foremost, one of the things that people are kind of shocked by is the fact that musicians shouldn't use the traditional job board sites. Indeed and Monster and those places, even LinkedIn, is fine for the general industry. But for our industry, you're not going to find as many things. You're not going to find substitute teaching in those places. You're not going to find the auditions and opera places that are having, um, you know, openings. You're not going to find freelancing for sure. You might find some public school music teaching, which is fine. But even then, uh, you might find some, you know, more specific ones on a local New York state or wherever your location is better. So there is a boatload of opportunities that exist. Most people only use one or two resources and the wrong ones. So make sure to use music-specific resources for sure. And then the other thing too, I guess, my way of thinking of it is a mindset, right? So this is a resource in itself. I have a very particular mindset that I, that I approach, um, and it's the DYL, the Design Your Life. Um, so that's by uh, two professors um, who wrote a book, Designing Your Life, and there's a website that corresponds with it. And it's all about thinking of the full picture. It's not just about your career, right? It's about who you are as an individual. Remember, I started with my identities, not my, my job, right? So who you are as an individual and how all of that feeds together. So what are you going to do? Sure, maybe as your nine to five, or if not your nine to five, your big thing. And what are the other things that feed you in different ways. Um, and, and can you acknowledge that maybe a job isn't suited to you because you don't like the actual space, but there's something about the actual job that you can take, right? It, there's all these little areas. And the way that we break it down into is that designing your life is flexible. It's fluid mistakes and it uh, uh ohs happen. Like, I don't know, a pandemic comes along. So you have to be available to adapt and to rethink things and understand that you have multiple skill sets and they might not even know everything that exists out there just yet, or even better, you might create something that doesn't exist just yet, right? So this Design Your Life Mindset is a book, a huge resource that really has um, altered our complete communications and our language in the, in the office to understand how we approach 
approach our careers because it's actually how we approach our lifestyle and what we want out of life, our priorities. By leading with that, we can actually find the appropriate positions and opportunities that match it rather than assuming that whatever we think a job will will give us, will just give it to us. And you don't know that until you've tried it, until you've talked to people, until you've really assessed what your priorities are. And that's what Design Your Life is about. So um, that's kind of my resources. So people connections, a variety of job boards if you're really looking for a, a specific resource, and then the Design Your Life thinking model. How do you think music educators and performers can market their abilities and skills within their profession to other roles they may want to attain? Hmm. Good question. For clarification, when you say market, do you mean your materials and application? Do you mean when you're networking with individuals? Do you mean how you brand yourself online? All of the above. All of the above. No small feet right there. Okay. So um, going back to DYL, and this will help a little bit outlining. So one of the things that we have developed um, at the University of Rochester is kind of four big stakeholders, and this will help you process this information. The first is get curious about things. So you were saying you might want to use your skills as transferable skills that then all go back and forth. So you might be a musician that also wants to teach. Great. What are those transferable skills? You might be a teacher who also wants to run their own summer program. Great. What are those transferable skills? So getting curious about what those skills are, what opportunities are, et cetera. Two, talking to people. Three, um, trying stuff out, right? Um, If you want to see if you're good at it, test it out volunteer, sit on a board, you know, do a summer program, training program, et cetera. And last, tell your story. And that's the marketing bit, right? But the thing is, is if you don't know what you're looking for, if you don't know what's appropriate for that particular field, you might tell a really good story, but for the wrong industry, right? So if you are a musician and you're trying to sell yourself if you give me a list of performances and you put that into an educator's uh, you know, hands and say, what do you think? Chances are they'll be like, cool, what are you applying for, right? So you have to really think about not just your skill sets, but what they're looking for, what's appropriate for that industry. So when you're marketing yourself, you need to market in the language that is not only authentic to you, but also rings true to whatever you're aiming for. So prime example higher education. I'm a professor at Syracuse University. And so if you are trying to get into higher ed, you need to know that there are certain things that come with higher ed. And we can go into that later, but there's usually three shticks, so to speak. There's the teaching part of your job. There's the, um, sorry, pausing there. There's exactly there's the teaching part of your job. There's the academic quote unquote service part of your job. And then there's the research part of your job. Those are the three kind of big structures of any higher education job. Most people are kind of stunned by that when they first start applying and don't even know what these things are because it's not taught. It's just embedded into the industry. And until you read a job description or talk to somebody, you're like, what do you mean I have to do research? Take a big breath. In the music field, it means you should perform or you should go to conferences or you should do recitals. If you're a musicologist, that means, yes, you will do research and you publish. It varies by industry. But you need to have that knowledge to be able to then market yourself and understand, oh, when they say this, 
here are the skill sets, here are the experiences, here are the things that I offer that make me a really, really good fit. So you have to go out and research a little bit and understand what the industry is looking for and how that language parallels with the skill sets, experiences, knowledge you bring to the table. So when it comes to your materials, branding, marketing, make sure you can just tell your story really eloquently and with the language that's appropriate. Now, I said I have three different identities. That might mean that I have different audiences and that I have to use different language, and that's okay. I will tell you that personally, I have three resumes and a CV, right? Depending on the different things that I'm interested in applying for. Uh, I just have one website, but then I break it up into those different chunks, and I might use my language a little bit differently, right? As an educator, I'm probably going to be a little bit more fun, don't use as much jargon, be a little bit more engaging than maybe, let's say, a higher level musician who wants to flaunt the fact that I'm a contemporary musician and, you know, all the stuff that most people don't understand, right? So, like, okay, think about that. Your audience is is the part of the marketing because that's who you're quote unquote selling to. That's who you're advertising to. That's the people that are going to go, oh, I want to connect with this person or I want to hire this person or I want to work with this person. So think about your language. Think about what you bring to the table, those transferable skills, but also think about the industry's language. So you're matching it appropriately because that is telling a good story. What do you think is the biggest challenge or challenges facing musicians and music educators who want to pursue other industries or roles? Good question. I think it depends on, you know, music educators are so fluid and they have so many transferable skills that I think it's, not challenging actually too much to to uh, venture into new fields or other fields. Now, of course, you have to think about what those fields might be. And yes, getting into medical might be a little bit different, but believe it or not, music therapy is a thing and going and performing and teaching to kids music, all that stuff like that happens. So I guess the biggest thing is using the skill sets that they already have and understanding where their personal challenges might be. So for instance, as a public school teacher, chances are in most schools, you might be the only music school teacher, right? If you're lucky, you might have a colleague, especially in high school, there might be band director and orchestra director. But, you know, in a lot of places, you might be the one and only, or you might be like the one that transfers between three different elementary schools, you know. So you are kind of on your own. And you're doing a lot. You're thinking about the common core. You're thinking about your students. You have all these different levels. You're thinking about repertoire and pieces. And it's a lot on you. A lot of institutions, a lot of places, you work in a team, right? And that's the cool thing about being a musician is usually you're always playing with other people. There's always other people around. But in a music leadership role where you're running a course, you have a lot of control. But in other areas, you might actually be just one member of a larger team until maybe you head up into, you know, that dean of something or the CEO. But even then, you might have board members that are the ones that are also providing their insights. You might have audiences that are now going, hey. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things that might be interesting to transition from a leadership where you are the authority in your field 
to potentially transitioning to a, you have to work in a small team all the time. Now, obviously, if you already work with the team, great. You don't have that challenge. But it's kind of hard to identify a particular challenge because it depends on the field, depends on what an educator might be. We're all good at listening. We all have transferable skills, right, et cetera. So that was one of the ones that just kind of popped into my mind is sometimes, you know, depending on where you are as an educator, you know, I teach my class. My supervisor comes in and watches my lessons and gives me a grade and then moves on, right? But I have every control when it comes to lessons, 100%. I choose the rubric. I choose the curriculum. I choose everything. But then suddenly if you were to work with a collective now you might have more individuals and mindsets and, and, and perspectives to take into consideration too. So that's the one thing that just kind of comes to mind. And are there any closing insights you would like to give from your experiences in Journey? Yes. If you are interested in higher education, do your research. <laughs> I work with a lot of doctoral students. I work with a lot of even master students. That, that's their end goal. First and foremost, please, please, please understand that being a higher ed professor is not a fallback. It's not the, oh, I couldn't get the audition for the orchestra or the opera or this after five years. So now I'm going to just teach it in higher ed. Okay, if you're going to do it in as an adjunct, great. You could pick that up anytime. Like that happens quite a bit. People in and out adjunct. But if you want it to be your full-time assistant or associate professor or a full professor, that is a lot of work and not something that is fully articulated in certain programs. So if you're interested in higher ed, go and talk to higher ed professors and not the adjuncts. Talk to them too, but like talk to the full professors. Ask to see their CV. Ask to see what their responsibilities are because guaranteed you're going to be doing administrative in some capacity, even if it's just for a semester, even if you have to go sit on a, a, a panel of some sort, or you have to sit on an advisory board or you have to become the chair for two years or whatever, 100% guaranteed. You also need to be active in your field. Um, you need to keep playing or writing. You need to be active in that, that sense if you really want to do it. Now, once you're into the role and you've got tenure, you have a little bit more flexibility. But still, you have to get all the way through that process before you can stop doing the things that you do. And it makes sense because, you know, if you're going to be a bassoon teacher, you're going to need to be able to play it well enough to draw in students, right? And so you have to recruit. It's a complex process and it's a competitive process. And I've talked to way too many students who think that right out of the doctor program, because all they need is a doctorate, they can slide right into a full-time thing. And that's not the case. Um, you really, really have to go and do your research on those topics that I talked about, your uh, academic service, your research, and your teaching. You actually do need to have teaching experience before you get hired for a teaching gig, you know? Um, but this is a conversation I have a lot with. So just like anything else, Go do your research in the industry, talk to people, and be able to understand their language so that you can apply yourself to that. But this is one particular area that I work with a lot in the higher ed, in the education realm. But particular higher ed is kind of hush-hush about a lot of the stuff until you're in the field and go, uh-oh. <laughs> so make sure to do your research and poke around because that is one of those fields that is not as easy to get into or is a little less... Um, 
supported than, let's say, getting a certification or going to a community school, which is not as challenging, or running your own studio, which is also not as challenging. This one's surprisingly challenging in the educational field. So just make sure you're aware of that. And if others had questions about any of the topics you discussed today, where might they be able to contact you or find some of your resources? Absolutely. So my own website is Blurbassoonist. Um, so blurbassoonist.com. So feel free to go explore that. You can kind of see how I tell my story and my own identities. If you're particularly interested in, you know, education, career, administrative skill sets and so forth, um, you can actually check out the Office of Careers at Eastman. Um, so that is a website. We're actually updating it. So it'll be updated soon. But it's going to have lots of different resources and opportunities for you to explore. And I categorize it into those categories we talked about. You know, get curious, try stuff out, talk to people. And there's a boatload of things. And we're constantly adding things so that make sure that we talk about all different career paths and opportunities and journeys that individuals might pursue. So those are the two places because one's kind of a not database, but a collection of then the other resources I would recommend. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Of course, thank you for having me. Music and talk.